The presenting sponsor of the Millennial Politics Podcast is Tomka Designs, a company that I personally support. Tomka was established by two aid workers and a fashion designer who were sick and tired of seeing Western brands exploiting the people and places where clothing is made. They literally traveled the world to dig deep into fashion manufacturing, visiting fabric mills and factories, and handpicking the most ethical partners before a single piece of clothing was made. The best part about Tomga is that, aside from being a positive impact business, their designs are stunning. If you're like me, you'll fall in love with their colorful prints and impossibly soft, eco-friendly fabrics. If you go to www.tomgadesigns.com, that's T-A-M-G-A Designs, you can try it out for yourself. And if you use the discount code MP15, our friends at Tomga will give you 15% off. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm joined by Adam Johnston, coordinator of Black Belt Citizens Fighting for Health and Justice, a community-based group focusing on campaigns for economic, environmental, and political justice. Thanks for coming on, Adam. Thanks for having us, Jordan. I really look forward to this interview. Yeah, me too. So going a bit deeper than my little description there, could you tell us what your organization does and how it got started? Yeah, sure. My name is Adam and I live in Birmingham, Alabama, and I work for a board of directors who live in the Black Belt region of Alabama. And these individuals are all residents of a town in Uniontown, Alabama in Perry County. And they have came together over similar issues around environmental protection related to landfills and sewage and water quality and have formed a group. And over the years, uh, this group is, has done many things for the community and the surrounding area. And eventually, uh, they have done what most groups and organizations do, which is continue to formalize and, and eventually uh, begin a formal organization. Backing up a little bit into the fundamentals of what you're fighting, could you tell us about what environmental racism is and how it functions in the Black Belt in particular? Yeah, sure. And so environmental racism and capitalism and economic exploitation, you know, go hand in hand and they're a product of each other. And without racism, you know, capitalism wouldn't exist. And so in Uniontown, in just a small town of 2000 people, you have a catfish plant that is the world's largest catfish production plant in the world, Harvest Select, that uses a lot of water. They use just a lot of water and their wastewater you know, contributes to some of the sewage dysfunctions. And then on the other side of town, you have an industrial cheese plant that just smells up the town. And then on the other side of town, you have this landfill that holds toxic waste. They put it there because the, the oppression is, is already going on. To say that people don't fight back, that's a myth because in these, these communities have always been fighting back from racism. To have racism on top of racism on top of racism, that's environmental racism. When we look at what the word environment means, it means everything surrounding us. And when you can see that in today's world, racism is still oppresses people just like it did any other time in history when we've had such you know harsh issues when, when government connects uh, race to policy. In Uniontown, uh, 90% African descent community, the companies are, are still majorly owned and controlled and dominated you know, by those um, Anglo, you know, white ethnic individuals. Pollution from white-owned companies are, are impacting 
black communities. We see that as, as pretty predominant in American industry. At some point with our, our current you know, trends of, of individuals and politics and business as usual, you know, it's really impacted people. It's a big part of you know, why a lot of communities are fighting. You have communities all across the, the Black Belt and across the South, the Gulf South. And, it's high, and, and across the entire global south, you know, where extraction and exploitation is still a major factor. And when you look at Uniontown, you know, you can trace environmental racism back to 1858, at least, you know, before then. You know, you got to trace it back to when colonialism came in and committed genocide to the native individuals and then also then set up slavery and slave labor. In America, that's our, that's our history and foundings of environmental racism and in that part of Alabama. And then you follow that up to today, 100, 150 years later, not much has changed down there. Could you tell us a bit about how politics plays into this? Yeah, definitely. I think that's a good question because, you know, politics and politicians take corporate lobby money and they take corporate contributions. They are elected by people, but they, they act in favor of industry. And, and so our political system is is, is in need of, of millennials being conscious and, and aware of that and that they have a role to play and that you have a role to play as a voter and you also have a role to play to really show up. And if you have time and you have the ability, really start showing up. And even if it's, you know, showing up's half of it. And so your elected officials need to know you're there. You need to participate. And there's power in that. And so I really encourage all young people to really, especially this year in 2018, you know, exercise your vote run for office, you know, and we need people who are out there who are not going to be part of this profit system. They're going to be part of the people system. Perhaps the most prominent example has been Flint. And, and you see that, uh, especially in other places of environmental racism as well, not only in Flint, uh, Standing Rock, uh, you see it in Houston, you see it in Puerto Rico, you see, you know, and you see how the government's involved in it. And there's government policies involved. And so all these environmental policies relate back to the government. And so the government has a duty to protect people in permitting situations and how they do things. And what we're seeing is that there could be some, you know, violations in, in how they're enforcing their laws. And that's what happens when you have the, the fox guard in the hen house. Regarding your involvement in electoral politics, The Atlantic very briefly mentioned your group's work in the recent Alabama Senate race uh, in which Democrat Doug Jones narrowly defeated Roy Moore. Could you tell us about the BBC's role in that election? Yeah, sure. And, you know, I'm just relaying, you know, messages of, of people on the ground. And, and we have just amazing individuals down there who have been committed to the political process way before, you know, the special election. And in particular, in this instance, Miss Esther Calhoun was able to, you know, really organize and manage and lead a team and, and, and send a team of, of women and, and young people out, um, millennials out on the ground. It's teamwork like that, you know, and it's community work like that, that, that really, you know, goes the extra mile. And so you see some people are elderly and they, you know, and they need a ride to the polls and there's no public transportation down there. And, you know, so it's important to you know, come together and help your neighbors out. And then when, you know, somebody uh, wasn't thinking about going, maybe they were sick and they just needed somebody to come give them a little extra encouragement. So, you know, there's those type of things were going on and they always have been. And the political process and the vote's very important down there. 
Yeah, for sure. Tying that back into something you said earlier, which is that environmental discrimination and racism are rooted in capitalism. Capitalism is, of course, a pretty huge and difficult thing to dismantle. And right now, most activists do work within the system, you know, electoral politics, the courts, in their fight for justice. How do you reconcile this dynamic? And what's the long-term strategy to dismantle these systems of oppression permanently? Great question. Great question. Well, one, you, you're absolutely right. Well, you, you have to participate in the system. I feel that you have to participate in the system that is oppressing you to slowly but surely, you know, make the changes in it that need to. At the same time, you, you know, you can call that making the changes or you can call it tearing it down or you can call it dismantling. But you have to be a part of, of some of the system somehow. And then you also have to be willing to provide resources to build the alternatives. And so when... The failures at the public schools and the charter schools are happening. We need to be able to, to build the resources and fund home, the homeschoolings and the things and the alternative educational systems and those things that can then provide those alternatives. Same thing with with our food systems and our energy systems. And we just have to continue to build those alternatives while we are continuing to address and confront, you know, this this political hypocrisy we can see in the constitution is flawed and, and continue slavery and, and exploitation. And so we, we can't trust on those things, but we do have to continue to, to be a part of it. And, and every single role is necessary and every single attack is necessary to continue to dismantle and break that down. And so in the nonprofit world, you see a very corporate type mentality and, and in the movement world, you don't. And you see a lot of what democracy should look like. And you see people coming together from different backgrounds and, and forming coalitions out of trust and love and, and coming together over common issues. And I think sometimes, and, and even in our nonprofit world, we can get lost in that. And I think we have to stay grounded in, in doing what is responsible once again to the people. And, and so if we're, we as nonprofits or other people are going to be, you know, calling out elected officials, we also have to be, you know, providing resources to those people who are trying to call on their elected officials who aren't, you know, getting their voices heard and, we have to continue to be there to hold each other accountable. And when we can create alternatives to political governance, like community governance and, and nonprofit is a way of doing that, but it's not the only way. And we have to continue to bring that to the forefront of conversations and, and how to analyze our work so that we are building the alternatives to, to have health and justice. How can folks get involved in environmental activism? I would say the best way is to to look for those folks on the front line. And if you have an ability to donate a couple of dollars, do that because that, you know, helps provide their self-determination. You know, any individual gift is better than those on the front lines getting grants and, and, and then, you know, jumping through hoops. I think individual donations are the best. You know, we have to realize that we're a part of this. We're all a part of these systems of, of energy and food and, and waste. And, and, and so we have to then provide for those things, you know, and so, Sometimes our tax dollars aren't doing that. It's just about being there. And I, I think that's about 95% of most of it is just about showing up. And I think necessarily you don't have to reinvent the wheel. The elder generation's, you know, still out there who's who has a lot of wisdom. It's important to really find mentors and it's really important to, you know, find people who, you know, are in the different generations who can really guide you as a young person and, and talk to you about, you know, how things were when they were there and, you know, and how hard they work for things, how much they care about what they do. And, you know, because there's people all across the country who have been involved in the political process longer than we've been alive, you know. And so we have to look at that as young people and, and really pay our respects to these people who have been there. If we really want to 
make a change, you know, we really have to be the change individually. And so if, if we want to make a change about environmental racism, then, then we ourselves have to make a change first and foremost. When we put something somewhere, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go to a landfill somewhere. Chances are it's going to go to a landfill in Alabama or Mississippi or Louisiana or Texas or Florida. You know, individual actions do add up and it's important to, to have that consciousness to know that where you spend your money is power. Number one and number two is is where you you vote and how you vote. And so you know have to be conscious how we consume and and how we act. And then if we have a chance to be a part of something, you know, do it in a way that's sensitive to those who are most impacted and in, in trying to be in leadership. Because a lot of the times the system that we're in has already disenfranchised from those leadership opportunities. And so just in today's world, we we're still at a at a disconnect where we still have people who don't operate on email and don't operate on podcast and don't operate on on that type of thing. So it's important for people who are on this technology kick to really sometimes maybe turn that off and go talk to people one-on-one, go visit some people who might not be on technology because we have some of people who just, they might not can't afford it. We have to continue to, to, to educate and get out face-to-face. And that's the most uh, important and successful and when you, you, you can see somebody in the face and you can spend time with them, it works. And, and it's old fashioned and it takes time, uh, but it's worth it. And those relationships that are built can really lead to long term work and diverse coalitions and how you want to do things and campaigns. And it's about, you know, getting to know people. I think sometimes we get caught up in, in trying to look at somebody for who they are. If they don't have a degree on this and they're not this and they're not that. Then sometimes people don't mess with them. And I think there's there's big um, failures in that because most people that I've met. Uh, have learned more in the real world than they have in academia. And I think it's important that we recognize that there's people out there in the community who might not have a certain title, who know just as much about it as somebody who might be considered, you know, some type of expert. And so we have to look at the locals are the experts, number one. Um, number two, uh, locals need to be trusted and, and their, their leadership needs to be trusted. And if you want to get involved in environmental activism or any type of environmental activism is you listen. And when you find out what your area of, of support could be, then you ask if you could do that. If that is taken, then then, then you follow your, your commitment to action. And lastly, where can folks find you online? Yeah, Black Belt Citizens, you know, we actually, you know, created a social media page and just in 2014 in Uniontown, even in this little small town, you know, a lot of people are on Facebook. And so you can find us on Black Belt Citizens. You know, there's just a lot of stuff going on in Alabama's Black Belt. There's a lot of good people. There's a lot of wonderful things going on, despite all the the inequities and the disparities. Uh, there's a lot of amazing people doing amazing and beautiful things. And, and, and so hopefully, you know, we can do a good job of sharing some of all that stuff on social media. So hit us up, see what we're doing. Drop us a line, critique us. Peer criticism is important. Let us know what we're doing, how we can do better. Not only are we connected by our, our families and our water and our, our, our air and, and our stuff, we're also connected by these countries in the political system. And so, you know, we have to know where we're, we're all on the same page here. We have to, our money is powerful and so is our vote. And it's important to find about fights and other areas. Thank you for asking. All right, so Black Belt Citizens on Facebook. And then on our website is uh, blackbellcitizens.org. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today and telling us about the work you do. And we hope we can have you again in the future. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to be able to get some of our amazing freedom fighters on the front line to be part of this. Still, technology is difficult down there and, 
And so if, if you're somebody who has resources to technology, hey, we are looking for those type of things to be able to help educate and teach people and train people about technology as well. And so we realized that even in today's world, not everybody has this. I had to go run out and get some headphones just for this. I appreciate the work you did, especially given that not all of us have the same levels of access. So thank you so much for that. Appreciate you all. Yeah. So again, I'm Jordan Valerie, Editor-in-Chief of Millennial Politics. You can find me on Twitter at Jordan Val Allen. Make sure to follow Millennial Politics on social media, subscribe to our newsletter, and check out our merch at millennialpolitics.co, and stay tuned for the next episode of our podcast. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.